Chapter 2 As the string-line hauler arrived at the terminus ring above Hallholm, Antonia and Key found an unoccupied viewport inside the passenger pod and looked down at the planet. The pod was a standard high-capacity model, though not nearly full. Few travelers chose this particular destination. No need for crowding at the windows, which was good, since Antonia didn't want company, conversation, or any attention at all. The young woman stared through the star-sparkled blackness to the looming globe below. Hallholm looked rugged even from space. This planet had once been lush and hospitable to life, but now it looked mortally wounded. No wonder people called it Hellhole. But even this was better than Aeroch, the planet she'd fled in desperation. She had ridden the Stringline network through the central hub on Sanjira and back out, taking the transport line as far away from the crown jewel worlds as she could go. She only hoped it was far enough that she could hide and make a new life for herself. As the Stringline hauler docked, loud noises shuddered through the hull of the passenger pod. The hauler itself was little more than a framework on which numerous cargo boxes or passenger pods could be hung like grapes in a cluster. Antonia waited in both anticipation and dread. Almost there, almost free. One after another, down boxes disengaged from the framework, drifting into lower orbit where they were automatically maneuvered toward the marked expanse of the Michelle Town spaceport. Each time a downbox disengaged and fell away, she flinched from the vibration and thud. All home rotated slowly beneath her, exposing patches of water, empty continents, and finally the inhabited section, not far from the concentric ripples of the impact scar itself. Antonia caught her breath when she saw the huge bullseye where the asteroid had struck. The shattered crater was filled with glassy shock melt, surrounded by concentric ripples. Canyon-sized cracks radiated outward in a jagged pattern. Oozing lava continued to percolate to the surface through raw scars in the ground. Five centuries meant little on a geologic timescale, and the world was still wrestling with its recovery. Yes, Hellhole was the last place anyone would think of looking for her. At 19, Antonia knew how to take care of herself better than most adults did. During her past two years on the run, she had learned many ways to elude detection. She knew how to change her identity and appearance, how to get a job that would earn enough money for her to live on without raising questions. She knew how to be afraid and how to stand up for herself. Two years ago, a lifetime it seemed, she had been precious and pretty, a creature of social expectations, the owner of a fashionable wardrobe with garments for all occasions and any type of weather. She had another name, Tona Quirie, but that was best forgotten. She would never, could never use it again. As a debutante on Aeroch, she had flaunted different hairstyles and cuts of clothing because her mother assured her that such things made her beautiful. These days, Antonia did everything possible to make herself less attractive. Her dark brown hair hung straight down to her shoulders, and she wore only plain, serviceable clothes. She was the daughter of the manager for a large power plant on Aeroch, 
one of the old civilized planets long ruled by the Riamini noble family. They had a very nice home with a large kitchen, a pool in a terrarium room, and a well-tuned piano. Her mother loved music and often played at their special parties, but the best times were when she would withdraw to the conservatory alone, playing classical pieces or evocative, intricate melodies that might have been her own compositions. And Antonia had sat in the hall, just listening. She even took lessons, hoping to become as good as her mother someday. Now, the music was gone from her life. When Antonia was 17, a dashing young man named Jaco Rollins came to work for her father in the power plant headquarters. At 21, Jaco was handsome, intense, clever, and obviously moving up in the world. He quickly made himself indispensable in her father's work and often came to their home for business meetings, which turned into social occasions. When Jaco fixed his attentions on young Antonia, she had been swept away, and her parents had not objected because they liked the young man. Jaco was utterly focused on Antonia whenever they were together. Four months later, Jaco asked Antonia to marry him, and her surprised parents told him to wait, explaining that she was too young, although they encouraged him to continue to court her. Despite being upset by the delay, Jaco swore that he would prove his devotion to her. Antonia remembered her father smiling at the promise. I hope you do exactly that, Mr. Rellins. Just give it time. Jaco, however, seemed to feel an urgency that Antonia found bewildering. Whenever they were alone, he tried to convince her that they should just escape somewhere, get married, and live their own lives. He was so earnest and optimistic that she almost said yes, but his intensity worried her. Although she loved Jaco, she saw no reason to hurry. We'll still be together in a year, and then we can have the grand wedding I've always dreamed of. But Jaco didn't want to wait. He grew edgier and more possessive, though he still played the part of a gentleman. A month later, after the pair came home from one of their frequent dates, her world ended in blood and lies. Over the next two years, Antonia learned to mistrust everyone around her. Jaco taught her to be that way while the two of them were on the run. Then she escaped from him too. With a new appearance and identity, she ran to the main Aerox spaceport, completed an application in the colonization office, and signed aboard the next Stringline ship heading for the Deep Zone planets. She didn't care which one. The ship was bound for Hellhole. Anything to see out there? Antonia turned irritably. Next to her stood a grinning, good-humored man she'd noticed on the voyage out from the Sanjera hub. She feared that he had somehow recognized her or tracked her down, but the man seemed cheery with everyone, blithely jabbering away, pleased with his choice to go to Hallholm. All the ports have the same view. She hoped he would get the hint and go away. He didn't. My name is Fernando, Fernando Neron. We're about to start a great adventure. And your name is... Though on her guard, Antonia realized that being too reticent would only raise suspicions. 
Besides, she'd have to get used to going by her assumed identity, so she decided to start now. Antonia Anki, she said. Let's hope it's an adventure instead of an ordeal. Did you hear that, Vincent? Fernando waved to another man who had been quiet during the entire trip. She says she hopes it's an adventure instead of an ordeal. I heard her. The other man nodded, more courteous than open and friendly. He had seemed preoccupied throughout the journey. During the four-day string-line crossing, Antonia had kept to herself. Their private sleeping cabins were so tiny and claustrophobic that most passengers spent their days in the passenger pod's common room, which forced them to get to know one another. Very few of those aboard seemed pleased with their situation. One group, an isolationist religious cult called the Children of Amadine, avoided their fellow passengers even more than Antonia did. The cult members were easily identified by square-cut hair, both men and women, and their baggy pale blue uniforms, which did not look as though they would hold up in a dirty wilderness environment. Another oddball religious group, looking for the promised land on Hellhole, or at least some place where people would leave them alone. A group of convicts, men and women sentenced to exile on Hallholm, was kept in a separate compartment. The Constellation liked to wash its hands of such problems and let the Deep Zone administrators deal with them. Other travelers aboard the pod were commercial representatives and government officials, engrossed in their own business and hardly interested in the other passengers. So what brings you to a place like Hellhole, young lady? What are you, eighteen, nineteen? And very pretty, not a typical colonist. Fernando seemed genuinely friendly. In her years on the run, Antonia had learned never to reveal too much about herself. She tried to be just open enough to sidestep further questions. Maybe I'll tell you later. For now, I'd like to enjoy a few moments of quiet. This could be our last bit of calm before we start the hard work. She made her lips curve upward in what she hoped was a sincere smile. Fernando laughed and looked over his shoulder again. Did you hear that, Vincent? She says we'd better enjoy the last few moments of calm. I agree with her. Vincent took his seat. Without warning, the passenger pod shuddered. The clamping hooks released them, and the craft began to fall toward the planet.